Welcome to Tell Tales, Dakota Folk Life and Stories, a collection of narratives, personal experiences, and the history of the North Dakota Plains. In this episode, we speak with Joseph Ellis, the Pulitzer Prize-winning American historian and author. He joins us today to speak about the American Indian reservation system, including those in North Dakota. The way in which the current system of Indian reservations that exists so palpably in the Dakotas and other parts of the mid-American continent, how they came into being. The story begins after the American Revolution. Most of the Native American tribes during the Revolution, especially the Iroquois and Creek uh, tribes, sided with the British. And in the aftermath of the war, the Treaty of Paris ruled that all the land owned by the, the occupied by Native Americans uh, was forfeited to the United States, and they didn't have any right to that land at all. They were a conquered people. The interesting thing that I think will help us understand how we get to the reservation system is that Washington steps onto the presidency in 1789, and his secretary of war is his former artillery officer during the war, a close friend named Henry Knox. Knox was a plump fellow, looked sort of like Santa Claus, and had no previous military experience prior to the war. He was a bookstore owner in Boston, but he spent seven and a half years with Washington. And when Washington came to the presidency, Knox met with him and said that the single most important item facing the new president should be the fact that there had been an unconscionable, unfair resolution of the Native American issue. That is, they had been deprived of their land without their consent. And in that sense, the way in which it had been handled was directly at odds with the values that Washington and Knox themselves claimed they were fighting for throughout the war. Knox proposed that we attempt to find a way to make the federal government itself, not the states, responsible for Native American affairs. And if you can do that, then make it an executive matter, matter under the control of the executive branch, where they can then define the legislation and the new kind of arrangement with Native Americans. That's what Washington proceeded to do. They basically decided to sign a model treaty with the Creek Nation that would allow the Creeks to control land of what is now southern Georgia and most of Alabama, and that they were a separate nation, as real a nation as France or England or Italy or Spain. And they had rights that would be granted in this treaty that would preclude white settlers from crossing over or landing and settling in their, their land. They brought a group of Creek chiefs, 28 of them, to the then capital, which was in New York. They stayed there for most of the summer. The tribe, the Indian chiefs danced with Abigail Adams, there was festivities. They were treated as equal diplomats from a foreign country. They signed this treaty, and it was called the Treaty of New York, that essentially said that this land belonged to the Native Americans and could not be taken away from them without their consent. It turned out to be unenforceable. The treaty passed, 
But Knox eventually recognized that the only way you could prevent whites from occupying that land was to have a police force, a military force. Up, it would take almost 30,000 troops. And the whole army at that time was less than 3,000. So despite the fact that the intention here is to create a set of uh, Indian, Native American enclaves, which would be sovereign, and would over time eventually perhaps become states of their own, could be admitted into the United States as sovereign states. It failed because it couldn't be it couldn't be implemented, and you couldn't stop the flow of white immigrants or white settlers heading west who wanted to pursue their happiness by acquiring land. At any rate, what that means is that prior to the expansion of the American territories out beyond the Mississippi, the pattern had been set that on the one hand, they're not going to be able to give them everything that the Washington administration intended, but there needs to be a way to find some way of providing Native Americans control over their own land and uh, even though they don't have the same full status that Washington wanted, some kind of sovereignty over their own customs and their own people. And that's how the, the system that will eventually develop west of the Appalachians and west of the Mississippi and throughout the rest of the country for, comes into existence. George Washington considered this one of the great failures of his presidency. Washington said at the end of his presidency that the failure to implement the Treaty of New York was the biggest failure of his presidency, that we cannot be an imperial power that imposes its will on others without becoming another version of the British Empire, and we cannot let that happen. And so that at the end of his presidency, Washington said that there were only two failures that he really was prepared to acknowledge publicly. One was the failure to put slavery on the road to extinction, and the other was to find a way to avoid Indian removal. Those are his two big failures. And he, he acknowledged that those were failures that he himself deeply regretted. The, the thing that it seems to me to come out of it is that the American policy towards Native Americans is driven in the end by a at times unspoken but deep felt recognition that these are the original Americans and that the theft of their land from them was theft and that there needs to be compensation for that. Produced in partnership with Dakota Legacy, this project is supported in part by a grant from the North Dakota Council on the Arts, which receives funding from the North Dakota State Legislature and the National Endowment for the Arts.